following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So turn with me in your Bibles. Mine is new. It won't stay open. <laughs> All right, just hold on here. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 13, and that's on page 872 in the Pew Bibles. Um, Back in 2004, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. You ever heard of that book? Well, this is a thought or a question that people have been wrestling with uh, from the beginning, when things happen uh, that are unpleasant or are difficult or are downright horrifying. Um, I'm sure like many of you, I can remember um, 9-11 and standing in my living room watching the news on my console TV um, and crying out, God, what is happening? Why is this happening? And every turn, at every turn and with every trial, whether it's health or financial or relational or whatever, We often ask the question, why? God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to them? And sometimes we cry foul and we say, "Um, God, it's not fair. It's not fair that this is happening. And you know what? When we say that, we're absolutely right. It's not fair. In our passage this morning, Jesus is confronted by some people that have similar questions. Why did this terrible thing happen to these innocent people? And Jesus' response to them is potentially, potentially eternity altering, at least if we're willing to listen. So let's look at it together. Luke chapter 13, um, verses 1 through 9. There were some at that very time, some present at that very time, who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, again, we come to you with our Bibles open and our ears and our hearts open as well. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak to us. You would show us the truth of your word. Show us ourselves. Show us our Savior. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here we have another passage, um, much like last week, with a wonderful and unhelpful heading stuck in the middle. Um, These two paragraphs ought not be separated uh, because the second half is an illustration of the point of the first half. But that's okay. We'll let it go. Somewhere along the line, as Jesus was teaching, somebody asked him about the Galileans that had been killed in the temple at the hands of Pilate and his soldiers. Now, history doesn't record anything about this event outside of the Gospel of Luke. Um, But what we do know is that Luke um, was a collector of eyewitness accounts. Um, In history, um, though it doesn't record anything outside of this Gospel, plenty has been written about Pilate's cruelty as a ruler and his disdain for the Jewish people. Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea from about uh, from 26 to 36 AD under the Roman emperor Tiberius. And this was the same Pilate who ordered the crucifixion uh, and of Jesus and presided over it. So somewhere, sometime, something happened that was horrible to these Galileans that were in the temple offering their sacrifices. And then people asked Jesus about it. Now, it's common, it was common thought in that day that when something bad happened to someone, um, it, people thought it, it was because they had done something to offend God. Um, the disciples even thought this way. Um, they, uh, they questioned Jesus about a man who was born blind. That's recorded in John chapter 9. They said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And, and Jesus responded with the simple truth and the singular point of this sermon, uh, neither, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. His difficulty was to display the works of God, not as a result of anyone's sin. Now, it's a good thing that people don't think like that anymore. If you do good things, good things will happen to you. If you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. Well, I I can tell you that if you play stupid games, you are going to win stupid prizes. However, this thought is not biblical at all. It's not. It's really not true. There are some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. But I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So who's worse, the Galileans who were murdered or the Galileans who weren't murdered? Yes, right? Who is is worse, those who got crushed by a falling tower or those who were not crushed by a falling tower? Yeah, right? Jesus was confronting this same pervasive thought that bad things only happen to bad people. Well, the truth is, bad things do only happen to bad people. 
Good things only happen to bad people too. Why is that? There are no good people. When we say, oh, that guy, he's a good guy, we're not applying God's standard. We're applying our own, right? He's a nice guy, right? I've never seen him kick any puppies, so he's got to be okay, right? We don't use God's standard. There are no good people. As far as God's righteous standard is concerned, the only definition of what a good person looks like, no one is good. No one except Jesus. In his wisdom, God gave us a way to tell for sure that there are no good people. He gave us the Ten Commandments, right? And what do they do? But they show us that we all fall short. Everyone needs a Savior to save us from the penalty of our disobedience. Think about it this way. If the Ten Commandments are God's standard for what makes a good person, We've all put something before God in our lives. We have all worshipped and served a created thing instead of God. We have all taken his name in vain. We have all violated his Sabbath day. We have all dishonored our parents at one point or another. We have all hated someone and thus murdered them in our hearts. We have all committed adultery, whether in deed or in thought. We have all stolen something, even something small. We have all lied. We have all longed to have something that belongs to someone else. Am I wrong? I'm not. The question is not, why did that tower fall on those innocent people? The real question is, why didn't that tower fall on me? Why have I not been destroyed for my sin? Jonathan Edwards once asked his congregation, give me one reason why God has not destroyed you since you got up this morning. That's the only one. There is only one reason that we have not been destroyed since we took our last breath because of our sin, and that's because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Consider that every moment that we live, every luxury that we enjoy, every blessing that we participate in as a matter of receiving the grace of God. It represents God's willingness to be patient with a race of people who have constantly and consistently rebelled against him. This is our story. Matthew Henry wrote, we all deserve to perish as much as they did the Galileans and those crushed by the tower. And had we been dealt with according to our sins, according to the iniquity of our holy things, our blood would have been long before this mingled with our sacrifices by the justice of God. Every breath, every person who has ever lived has taken as a matter of grace, God's grace. The simple truth is, if life were fair, We'd all be dead. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) This is going great. God does not owe us anything. He does not owe us the mercy that we received. God is not obliged to show us mercy. 
He said himself, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. If God owed us mercy, it wouldn't be a gift. It would be a debt that he owed to us. What does God owe us? Nothing. What we deserve is death, eternal death, and separation from God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. What that means is when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, sin and death entered the world. And we inherit sin and death and a sinful nature from them, as well as the curse that it brings. Not just the natural death of our bodies, but our eternal death and separation from God. And in the face of that punishment of death, whether it's being murdered by Pilate or being crushed by a falling tower, Jesus offers a way out. In verses three and, uh, verse 3 and verse 5, Jesus gives us an escape. He says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He says it both times the same way. So what, we, what do we deserve? We deserve to be murdered by Pilate as we offer our sacrifices on the altar. What do we deserve? We deserve to be crushed by falling buildings. This is what it looks like when life is fair. If you want life to be fair, wear a helmet. There's a building coming. That wasn't funny. That was awful. When life is fair, we get what we deserve, and that's death, and that's it. It's true that we deserve that what we deserve is death, but what does God give us instead? He gives us grace. What is offered to us is grace. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you ever consider yourself an enemy of God? Because that's what you were before Jesus. That's what people are who reject Jesus. They are choosing to be God's enemies. They are choosing to fall under his sentence of condemnation and death. But because Christ died for us, he offers an escape from the wrath to come if we repent. And what is repentance? Repentance means to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. It literally means I was going this way and I repented and now I'm going this way. I've, I've made this walk a hundred times here. On that way, that side is our way, our our interests, our sin. This way is Jesus. This way is following God according to his word, not according to our superstitions or traditions or man-made junk. It's following Christ according to his word. We talk about faith a lot. The church talks about faith a lot. People outside of the church talk about faith a lot. What they don't talk a lot about is repentance. The fact that the way that you are living is bad and you should stop and turn to Jesus. That message gets lost nowadays. 
The second half of our passage this morning is an illustration of God's patience and grace, as well as the work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. And Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So who are the characters in our story here? God the Father, the owner of the vineyard. And he had a fig tree planted in a vineyard. Doesn't jump out as odd. Vineyards are for vines, for growing grapes, not for growing figs. Just kind of random that it's stuck in there. And the fig tree is man in, is mankind. It's humanity. And the vine dresser is Jesus. Now think of the careful labor of the Father to bring you to this place and to this time. Fig trees aren't commonly found in vineyards. He purposely planted us here. We, when he came to investigate with the right expectation that we should have borne fruit, he unhappily discovers that there wasn't any. What's the fruit? It's faith. What he's looking for is faith. Without that fruit, without figs, what good is a fig tree? As a woodworker, I'm not going to answer that question. But a fruit tree that doesn't bear fruit is worthless. It won't bear fruit in its season. It's not just worthless. It's a waste of resources. It's, a, it's not a net zero. It's a negative. Something else could be planted there in that soil that would produce fruit. And that's what the owner of the vineyard is going to do until the vine dresser intercedes for the fig tree. The vine dresser says, just give it one more year. Let me cultivate the ground around it and fertilize it. Give it what it needs to produce fruit. After that, if it grows fruit, great. But if not, then cut it down. What a wonderful picture of the work of Christ to the unbeliever. This is what Jesus is doing in the difficulties that our friends and family are facing that don't have faith in Jesus. And maybe it's our story as well, that God was using the difficulties, the hardships that we were facing to pull away the dirt and expose the root and then pour on a bunch of manure. And what happened? The fruit of faith grew on our tree. So when people go through hard times, when people face difficulty that have not yet turned to Jesus, right? Just said that a few minutes ago. Maybe that's exactly what's happening. And when we pray, Lord, make the pain stop. Make this difficulty go away. What are we asking for? Stop that work. I just want to not feel pain anymore. I just want to stop the hard time. I just want things to be easy and smooth and go my way. 
when Jesus is actively at work digging up our soil and putting on the manure, the fertilizer, so that, that people can grow the fruit of faith. God extends his grace in that hardship so that people, those fig trees, would be made new with Jesus' help. The truth of the matter is, humanity is on the clock. The vine dresser says, give me another year. And if this tree still refuses to bear fruit, then you can cut it down. And that's the reality that humanity is facing. Jesus is at work cultivating the soil so that people could come to faith in him, but people are still going to choose to reject him. God the Father extends his kindness to lead to repentance, but he is not going to wait forever. When the time is up, if there's no fruit on your tree, you will be cut down. And so the lesson for us, for all that are listening, is to repent now. Turn to Jesus in faith faith now. To use every challenge, every trial, as a reminder of the grace of God in Christ's work in our lives. To continue, to remind us to continue to turn from our way to Jesus' way. Because the life of a Christian is a life of continued and constant repentance. We still fail, we still fall, we still sin, we still make mistakes. When we realize it, we have to turn from it. That's that's what life is like for us now, to continue to turn to God in faith through Christ, to follow his way. And pray that people's trials would not be wasted but they would be used to draw them to God, that they could bear fruit through faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your grace. We're so thankful that you preserved our lives long enough to be introduced to Jesus and to turn to him in faith. But, Lord, there's so many people that we know that don't know Jesus yet. And they're going through the hard time of the cultivation of their soil. Lord, I pray that they would turn to you, that they would bear fruit of faith. There's so many that we know and we love that have constantly and consistently rejected you. We know, Lord, you are greater. You are stronger than their resistance. And we pray, Lord, that you would do whatever it takes to bring them to faith in Jesus. Lord, for those of us that do know you, may the fruit of our faith grow abundantly. May it spill out all over everywhere. That people would see Jesus in us to see your work in our lives. And may we be conscious of that and to give you glory at every turn. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, 
Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.